1: All right. Welcome in. This is the Thursday Deep Dive episode. We have Ian Gray on the show. As always, we're talking, what? Oh, SharpSpring. <laughs> Sorry, forgot. It's a company I hadn't heard of before. Ian, how'd you find this company? I think you were saying before we recorded, it was just kind of something that popped on your Twitter timeline and you kind of got fascinated in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I'd seen the ticker pop up a few times on my Twitter timeline. And once I see it pop up two or three times, I'll pop it into uh, Yahoo Finance and take a quick look at it. And thought it was worth taking a look at and, and for us to talk about on the podcast today.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, we see it's at a, we'll get into it, but it's a software company at a reasonable valuation that kind of gets us excited. Um, we'll kind of see what everyone's thoughts are on the business, but it should be a fun one to talk about A little more fun than something trading at, you know, 30, 40 times sales. But, Ryan, do you want to talk about Seven Investing, uh, our sponsor, before we get into it?
2: Yeah, they are our sponsors, and you can get uh, $10 off your first month if you use our code. They are our friends. Uh, They just, I mean, you guys are probably listening to this delayed because we kind of pre-recorded this, but uh, recently they had their June recs. So, there were some good ones. There were some Mm -hmm. meaty ones.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Great analysis as always. And they're adding video uh, to the end of them. They do Long
2: Vimeo. Long Vimeo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Another
1: use case for that. Uh, I think that episode will be coming out before this, but either way they have the video for the subscriber call, or maybe it's not even the subscriber call. I think it's the internal team call where the analyst pitches it to everyone else. So you get that video along with it at the end of the analysis, really great insight into how all these guys think, how they do valuation, how they do everything. Super exciting, yeah. Yeah. And the value proposition for 7investing just keeps going up and up. (laughs) So use our code CCM to get $10 off. Art Ryan, do you want to introduce Sharpspring?
2: Yeah, Sharpspring. So I'm gonna use a little bit of uh, tech terminology here, tech jargon. It provides a B2B SaaS platform for marketing automation. Um, so basically it's a single dashboard or central hub that allows companies to monitor all their marketing and sales activity. And it's designed for small and medium sized businesses, but they sell primarily to marketing agencies, which are resellers. Um, and there's some agency specific features that they have on their platform, which are apparently a little different than some of the other competing products like HubSpot or whatever Salesforce, Salesforce is, um but basically the platform consists of three different products. There's Sharpspring, which is their core dashboard, which I just talked about. Um, And then there's Sharpspring Mail Plus, which is a less comprehensive subset of Sharpspring. So you can subscribe to that solely. Um, And that's basically used for email marketing only. And then there's Perfect Audience, which is like an add-on feature to the core marketplace, which is for retargeting customers. Um, And so I'm gonna give an example here to help paint a picture of what the platform actually does. So let's say a marketing agency partners with Sharpspring and they have, I think, 2000 different agencies that they're partnered with. That agency buys a license from Sharpspring. So that's how Sharpspring generates money. And that includes three extra licenses to sell to their own clients. So then I use Dunder Mifflin here for the example. Let's say that marketing agency reaches out to Dunder Mifflin and says, do you want do you need help digitizing your sales and marketing process? Do you want help kind of finding new clients? Uh, And Dunder Mifflin says, yes, the marketing agency will then, among other things, uh, recommend using the SharpSpring platform. And so that includes, all sales and marketing workflow. So emails, inbound collections, generating leads, converting those leads to sales, uh, recording them, setting goals, tracking progress, working on stuff together. And then you can also monitor like how email campaigns did, all that stuff is all under one dashboard. And so Dunder Dunder Mifflin or the end user receives pricing from the uh, agency, which is totally up to the agency. Um, so the agency is the customer for SharpSpring, but then obviously the agency is reselling. There are a few end users that go straight to SharpSpring instead, but I think it's like less than 5% of their overall customer base. But is that kind of a good foundation for what they do? Does that make sense? No,
1: yeah, makes sense.
2: Okay, and then a little bit about the history, Rick Carlson founded SharpSpring in 2012 with the help of the current CTO, Travis Witten, and they built it with, uh, they built it because they saw a hole in the market and so here's what carlson said he said this gaping hole in the market has become more and more apparent to me over the years of managing smbs we'd be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on outbound outbound marketing activities to drive leads to the sales team but we'd have zero visibility into what was working and more importantly what wasn't so we started looking at the analytics in a different way and developed a whole different approach to tracking results the transformation would Transformation was nothing short of stunning. Within a month, we were able to cut our costs per lead in half. And within three months, sales were up 80%. So they had a pretty successful uh, start right from their founding. uh, And within two years, by 2014, they kind of caught the eye of a company whose ticker was SMTP. I'm not sure what it stood for. Uh, And they actually ended up acquiring them. And then SMTP over time changed its name to SharpSpring, and SharpSpring basically became their whole business. They changed their ticker as well, so that's kind of how SharpSpring went public. And then I believe the SMTP part of the business was sold off. I apologize if that's wrong. Sometimes there are like historical uh, passages yeah. about microcaps that aren't real, or it was like painted from one person's picture. Um, it there isn't a whole lot of information because it's a microcap, but that's are the basics of the founding.
1: Yeah. And what you need to know is now the majority of the business is under that dashboard process. I'm sure we'll yeah. all get into it. Um, but yeah, it is that that is the majority of the business now. I'll hit industry and competition. I mean, global marketing automation as an industry is not very large. It's at about $4 billion in spending a year, expected to grow at about a 10% CAGR through 2027. Now, these are just third-party estimates from all those you know, those research firms, stuff like that. But Sharpspring itself, as you might expect, has a more bullish view. They think the industry can get to $16 billion in spending by 2025. We'll see. Um, That would be some rapid growth, but that would also be very good uh, for Sharpspring. And then as with a lot of SaaS companies, there are big and small competitors as the product itself. You know, it takes some upfront investment to make, but you can make a lot of copycat products out of this. There's HubSpot. That is the big one. They're prob- they definitely the largest pure play competitor. I'm sure as a company, their size, they have different products as well, but their market cap is $20 billion. So they're a, t- a lot bigger than SharpSpring, And that's someone that's a potential acquirer of this company too. Salesforce has a competitor, Adobe has a competitor, but it's a lot smaller. Mailchimp has a competitor. And then there's some pure plays that are private, I believe called Acton and ActiveCampaign. Those are other two pure plays. So quite a few competitors out there. Um, Ian, you want to have management and ownership.
0: Yep, the founder, as Ryan mentioned, is Rick Carlson. He remains the CEO and president today. Um, He worked in internet security prior to Sharpspring. And so he had a lot of experience dealing with a SaaS business and trying to find marketing options for it, which is where this idea was born out of. And in addition to that, probably understands the security piece of this pretty well too, and understanding where the market might be going relative to security and privacy. That's just a speculation on my part, but he's, he's been around this industry for a while. The CTO um, is also a founder and uh, they also have a CFO who's been with the company since he was hired away from the accounting department of Purdue, which was his alma alma mater. Um, The CFO is only about 30 years old. And so he, he, He's uh, pretty young and like I said, didn't have a whole lot of experience being like a CFO role before this. He was working as, I think, their head of accounting or their controller or something in that nature before being promoted to CFO. That's an area where we might see a new Um, CFO come in at some point, if this starts to become a larger company and starts to approach that billion dollar market cap, that's speculation on my part again, but you just never know. A lot of times as these these micro caps get bigger, um, I've seen it a number of times that they bring in a professional CFO who's been around for a while and jumped around to a lot of these different types of small cap companies. So something to just keep an eye out for um, and probably shouldn't be concerning if you see that happen. The company has, um, there's about 16% insider ownership. So healthy healthy insider stake. And then there are a couple related party transactions, mostly related to um, some convertible notes that were issued a couple of years ago that were issued to a company or that were um, held by a company that was owned by the, CT, by the founders, by the CTO and the CEO. Um, it was about $8 million in convertible notes. Those have been converted at this point. Um, and it doesn't look like they'll do that again. I, you know, it, that's a little bit concerning, not a huge deal, I guess. Yeah, um, kind of but weird. it's given, it's almost like giving themselves stock-based compensation. That's a little, it's a little bit of a
2: backdoor way to do it. Yeah. It might've yeah. been, it, it might also be attributed to the merger, um, mm, that could be giving themselves yeah. some sort of ownership if the SMTP or whatever ended up having a whole
0: lot.
1: Yeah, it could have been connected to that as well. I guess that's, if you're interested in this company, something to investigate for sure.
0: Something to investigate a little bit. I took a little bit of a look at it and didn't see something huge. Also, the company was fairly small and they had presumably made some money from the merger um, a number of years ago. And so they may have wanted to get an injection of capital into the business, need that $8 million. And so thought, who better than us? We'd rather just do it ourselves. but anyways, that's just something to keep in mind. They also had, I think like the CEO's brother-in-law or maybe it was the CTO. One of one of their brothers-in-law worked for the company um, for a little while and made some money, but it didn't seem to be an unreasonable amount of money. It was, you know, $100,000 a year or something like that for a uh, sales position. So it, it seemed reasonable.
1: Yeah, we're not bringing him into the uh, executive team right away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. And I don't think he still works for the company either. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely not a a huge red flag or anything like that.
1: No, no, definitely, definitely not. I'll hit valuation quick. Market cap from when I was referencing it is about $163 million. So again, not even a small cap. This is definitely a micro cap. Ticker is SHSP. Enterprise value is going to be slightly lower. They have a little bit of cash. Tough to tell. You know, your valuation metrics might be a little bit different, but they're not really at a point where they're returning cash to shareholders. They are still burning cash a little bit, pretty close to break-even. Uh price to sales is about 5.4, price to gross profit is about 7.2. So strong margins, as I'm sure Ryan will get into. Uh been hovering right around break-even. So cash flow and bottom line, you know, metrics or valuation metrics aren't really showing up yet. And if they do, They're not really an indicator of the long-term profitability of the business. There's about 11% of embedded dilution in options and RSUs outstanding if they all get exercised. That is not going to happen right away. But if unless the stock tanks and it's way below those strike prices, which I assume since the stock's been well over the last few years is a lot lower than where shares are currently, uh, you know, that dilution is most likely going to happen over the next few years. So That's gonna be a headwind, but not a crazy amount. We're not looking at like 30, 40% dilution here. Um, Ryan, do you wanna hit earnings?
2: Yeah, they had just over $30 million in their last 12 month revenue. um, And their 2020 revenue grew at 24% year over year. I think it accelerated there in the first quarter, but they had seventy six percent gross margins in the quarter. I think they're striving for between eighty one to eighty three percent over the long term. and they had seven million dollars in operating losses over the last twelve months, negative uh, three million in operating cash flow. They are, spending a lot of money uh, and they've talked about this they're trying to use this as sort of an investment period and they've spent a lot on SM. and uh, but they finished the first quarter with over 2,000 agency customers 500 direct customers and 10,000 total businesses across all platforms or Across all products. Like I said, they have those three different products and some of them are sold independently. Uh, but then their 2021 guidance was expecting 34 to 36 million in revenue. And they started, as I mentioned, really ramping up that sales and marketing spending in January. Uh, their long-term targets are to have a hundred million in annual recurring revenue and 20 to 25% operating margins. They put that in their investor presentation. Something else that I just kind of find funny about micro caps is that they like celebrate the most weird things. They're like, we, we made an investor presentation guys, like check it out.
1: Yeah. That's actually, it was good though. It's like 40 (laughs) slides. uh, If you want an overview of the company, I think they have an audio to go along with it. If you want to listen to that, although it's like, it's about an hour long, that's probably the best way to get introduced to this company. Uh, Besides this, besides Yeah. It's
2: just, you overlook it as when, with bigger companies, you're like, Oh, that's required. But then with microcaps, like we, you know, someone then, wrote a letter. Yeah, the man, CEO wrote a letter. Yeah, man, it's,
1: not, it's not required. Like some companies just don't. I mean, Nelnet, Berkshire is the most famous one. Just dropped the ten Q. No press release. No nothing. If some other companies stopped doing that, they would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, whoa, what's going on here, guys? Where's yeah. our adjusted earnings per share number? Um, Ian, do you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity to wrap up the first half?
0: Yep, the balance sheet has about $27 million in cash. As of the most recent quarter, about 13 million in debt, which is mostly leases, about 10 million of that is leases. Um, they've got about a 2 million, a $1.9 million line of credit with a 5% interest rate on it. So the interest rate for a micro cap was actually relatively good in my mind for, um, for a line of credit like that. And they have a little bit more, I think it can go up to 2.5 million. So if they needed a little bit more liquidity, uh, they've got some availability there to increase, Um, their debt. And then they also took out a PPP loan, which again, talking about micro caps, um, they actually had a PPP loan. Um, It's due for about $3 million in 2021. It looks like their PPP loan was not forgiven. And so they actually have to pay it back in 2021. And like I said, it's going to be about $3 million that it's due in 2021, but a net cash position, not a ton of debt, a little bit, but nothing, nothing crazy. And then the other thing I noticed on the balance sheet is Um, they had some deferred revenue jump up a lot in 2019 and I couldn't find a good explanation for why that was at about three X in 2019, a little more than that. And they did mention that they acquired some of it from perfect audience. And so perfect audience may have had more deferred revenue. They also could have, this is just my speculation, but they could have, increase the amount of annual contracts in that year or change the way they were accounting for them. Yeah. Um. I, like I said, I couldn't find a lot of good information on that. And so that's worth doing a little bit of digging into, but then that number has been more reasonable the last, uh, in 2020 basically stayed the same and it looked to be staying the same into 2021. And so if that number started to grow a lot, you might be concerned that like an outpaced revenue growth, you might be concerned that they were having to heavily incentivize people to sign up for their offering that doesn't seem to be what's going on here, but I thought uh, worth pointing out and maybe worth looking into a little bit more. And then the last point I'll make is they raised about $14 million through an equity offering uh, in December of 2020, so fairly recently, it was about 10% dilution approximately at $15 a share. And currently the stock is under $15 a share. It ran up a bunch in the intermediate, or in the uh, between times, but it's under $15 a share today. So it looks like a reasonable time to raise some money um, and really strengthen the balance sheet and got them to that net cash position.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that they did this, I think we were looking at Corsair Gaming, uh, that was with you, Ian, right? Where they did something like similarly, very good. You know, we said that the CFO is young, kind of a first time role. That's something to watch out for if a company's growing rapidly. But so far that seems like a very smart move, uh, to do a share offering out there, especially if they're still burning cash. Um, all right, well, I think that's going to do it for the first half. Let's take an ad break and then we'll get back. Advanced security must be enabled in the panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up, we have product experience, anecdotal evidence. Ian, you have anything with this? I mean, it's B2B. It's kind of tough.
0: So, Yeah, no experience for me with this.
2: Okay, Ryan, anything? I watched a, like a 30-minute product demo, um, and it it feels kind of sales force-y, I guess you could say. It's something where it looks like it would take time to get acclimated to the software. It's not like super intuitive. There's a lot of different places that you have to like know where to go. I could see marketing departments basically spending their entire day on this platform though.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what their pitch is, right?
2: Yeah, basically.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I was trying to scroll through some reviews. Luckily with a lot of these B2B software companies, there are good online reviews and Gartner, I think it was like 600 reviews too. So it's likely that this wasn't, something that, you know, a lot of companies kind of play the game where they they may be juicing their own reviews. It's, you know, it, it's kind of just the game a lot of these companies play. But with all those reviews, it seems like, you know, they're legit. And uh, sorry, I always forget this name. Sharpspring had the highest rating out of all the competitors by far. Just a quote on here. Uh, someone said, powerful and affordable HubSpot alternative. A lot of stuff with the same sentiment. So it seems like, they're stealing market share from HubSpot and, you know, users love the product. So that's always a good sign. Something you'd have to more investigate though. Uh, but I think that's great.
2: Um, yeah. They did say they were stealing clients away from HubSpot as well. Mm-hmm. It, I'm just resistant. Something feels weird about, okay, we have way less customers and we charge lower prices. Like I'm not sure that's,
1: well, okay. I think it comes Flex. back. To, I think it comes back to the core architecture that uh, the software that that the um, SharpSpring is built on. That's something they brag about. Where HubSpot is built on, apparently, according to SharpSpring, yeah, they're competitors. That HubSpot is built on worse software, and that's something that is really hard for them to fix. SharpSpring is younger, and it just has, you know. Uh, I don't know any of the technical terms, that stuff's a little over my head. Um, Ian, have you seen anything on that too? It's kind of maybe something they were bragging about. Is that an advantage they might have or something?
0: A little bit, and maybe I'll dive into my competitive advantage here. So I I will say that they, they do try and make that comparison with HubSpot and they seem to see it as a favorable comparison in two ways. That one, they respect what HubSpot's done and they think, wow, we can really look at all this room we have to grow given what HubSpot's done, we can go do the same thing. that um, the market's big and it's untapped for the most part. And then on the other hand, they say, and we're even better than HubSpot, right? Because their tech isn't as good. Um, and then my competitive advantage, I don't, you know, this is a competitive space and I don't really have a competitive advantage other, when, other than what you and Ryan are gonna talk about. But given their size, I think it's fair to say that they're probably more nimble than something like HubSpot or Salesforce, that they're able to kind of pivot implement new things test new things test things out without it affecting their entire customer base um negatively like some stuff on hubspot might so if anything they may be a little bit more nimble i i I hesitate to say that's really a competitive advantage but they're definitely trying to position themselves as the younger brother who's going to eventually overtake the older brother
1: yeah that makes sense that makes sense um ryan what do you have for any of your competitive advantages
2: yeah I, i don't think there's any huge competitive advantage um and sometimes that's just the nature of being a microcap and being the younger company, you don't have like that scale advantage or more capital or anything like that. But I guess they are designed for agencies um, and they have special features apparently on their platform that are agency specific, but that's not that's not necessarily an advantage. I just say it's a differentiator because I don't think it'd be that hard for HubSpot or Salesforce to build or acquire something that does something similar. Um, But So I'm going to pivot to a segment that we considered uh, since I don't really have anything good, which is what does success look like for this company? Um, I, I would say success in this scenario is, and they have a huge addressable market like they talked about, pivoting away from selling to resellers and having an intuitive platform that is sticky and they can sell right to the end customer.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of moves they've been making. I guess I'm going to talk about that highlights and low lights where they're trying to do that. Historically, it seems like uh, there were some things they could do or that they hadn't been doing that would make it a lot easier. Integrations, pricing tiers, stuff like that. But yeah, that makes sense. What do you have? Uh, I just have the low cost provider part. Again, part of this comes back to the architecture that they're built on, but it also gives them advantage when they scale because if they're pitches to be the low cost provider and they can still have 20 to 25% operating margins, then, you know, when they're scaling, it's gonna be tough to compete with them. Even if you're someone like HubSpot, it's a tough line to pull or it's it's a tough like, you know, you gotta lean into like, all right, we're gonna be the lowest cost as possible, but we also wanna generate profits. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens with them um, and, and if that pitch works out, but well, that could be a competitive advantage. But overall, yeah, with this micro cap, they, they don't have a—they don't really have a moat for sure.
0: Uh, what about uh, or- future growth opportunities, Ian. One thing that they've mentioned recently that they're working on is multi-tiered pricing, and they see it as an opportunity to gain more market share by allowing customers to choose the features that they want and need rather than a one-size-fits-all solution. And so it'll expand their market and the customers that they can actually attract because basically every other competitor offers multi tier pricing. Yeah. Um, so they're following the model of everyone else in the industry. And I guess this is another one of those micro cap things, I think where it looks to a lot of people from the outside looking in, why don't you already have multi tier pricing? Everybody does it. Obviously it works. That's the way to go. But I assume just with a small team, they said, let's keep it simple. Let's have one price. Maybe they even convinced themselves that it was some sort of competitive advantage that it's simple and all this type of stuff. But, it looks like they're growing up a little bit and going to this multi-tiered pricing s- schedule that's gonna open up the market to them and, and it'll be able to let them attract more customers.
1: Yeah, the first, or I was checking out their pricing on the website and I think it differs for you know agencies or if you're a large company or something like that. But I believe it was like three, 400 bucks a month was their lowest, their only price right now. So I mean, for SMBs, it's really tough if you only have one or yeah. two paying that each month.
0: Right. So basically, for a small business, they have one option for what they can buy, and it just depends on how many users they have or how many contacts they have. Basically, so they the the lowest option if you have I think a hundred contacts, or maybe it was a thousand contacts, is uh, four hundred bucks a month. But then if you have ten thousand contacts, it goes up to like um, I think two thousand bucks a month. And so it kind of it has scaled pricing depending on basically how much a company is going to use it. Um, but no ability to change between what features they want and don't want so that they can lower or raise the price based on the features. It's only based on how much they're using it. So this will allow uh, companies to pick and choose a little bit, which features are most important to them. And also hopefully get people in the system at a lower price and then be able to upsell them over time. Okay. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I would, this kind of leads into my feature growth opportunity because I've been sort of a Marketing intern, I guess you could say, at a medium sized business that was like reselling like hardware or Wi Fi equipment. Uh, And I kind of had to live on these kind of softwares. And just having like a list uh, of potential leads is not nearly as important as something that you've actually found interest from. And so th- when they acquired Perfect Audience in 2019, that's this is part of the thing that I like, and I hope they integrate it into their core offering, and then maybe like a higher priced tier, uh, because this is for retargeting customers who were a confirmed lead. So it's not just like a random list of potential customers where you have to go out and cold call or give like a cold email campaign to, this is someone who's expressed interest Um, and it's like just an easy way to retarget them with an ad or an email or a follow-on sort of reach out. Um, I think they could really easily embed this into their existing offering.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not like, People probably can copy this too, but segmenting that, I mean, it's just a better value proposition for their clients.
2: Yeah. What do you have?
1: Uh, so they just got Instagram added as an integration for social media. They were talking about that on the conference call. It was apparently the number one most requested feature. So I guess that's good. Also brings up, though, the downside of all these companies like Sharpspring, because Google and Facebook have total dominance of this industry and they really control who is getting access to what. Sharpspring is probably gonna be fine. You know, it'll end up, it's not gonna like, they're not gonna kill Sharpspring. They don't care about Sharpspring, but the control resides within, you know, these big tech companies. Um, All right, highlights and lowlights. Ian, what do you have for Sharpspring?
0: For highlights, it starts with the revenue growth. I know I keep saying that, but a lot of these companies we're looking at, that's just really exciting is the type of revenue growth they're able to generate. So. Sharpspring has a five-year Kager of 46%. Um, Will they continue to do that over the next five years? Probably not, that's that's aggressive, but um, they've definitely been growing revenue a lot in the past. I also like they have a lifetime value to customer acquisition cost of eight times. So basically it costs them, you know, $1 to acquire a customer and they get $8 out of them over the lifetime of that customer. And that actually improves that ratio improves with the customers that stick around. They cite that there's a lot of customers that drop off, they call them low quality customers basically, that drop off after the first couple of months that they try it out and then they aren't actually interested in this service and they immediately drop off. And then it kind of, the um, level of customers kind of stabilizes, the retention stabilizes a little bit after that. Um, Another highlight I will point out is that a competitor was purchased and Sharpspring actually points this out themselves, that a competitor was purchased at 12 times sales by Adobe in 2018, which is a premium to what they're currently trading at. And I think the way that management's talking, it looks like they're probably looking for some sort of exit like that, um, where they can, you know, if they could get 12 times sales and exit the business um, after, you know, it it looks like maybe they're targeting hundred million dollars in revenue. And then hopefully, selling out at some somewhere around 10 to 15 times revenues, um, which would be a significant premium from here if they could actually pull that off. And then HubSpot um, has shown a path to success in this route, right? Going after those small businesses and being able to generate good revenue growth and a great business out of that. A couple of low lights for me is just how competitive the market is with HubSpot. Um, as you mentioned, Ryan earlier, uh, Salesforce also has a competing product. Um, that they acquired, Adobe has a competing product that I just mentioned. So there's a few comp- or there's a lot of competitors out there, and then it's also just a small company. And so there's all these risks that come up with it just being a small company. You never know. And I'd say there's some key man risk here too, where if something happened to the CEO or the CEO decided, oh, I don't want to run this anymore, um, it, it it definitely hurts the company.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And with Salesforce, they have um, they're in a ton of these. I don't even know if they're in agencies, but they're in a ton of companies, correct? I don't know much about CRM, but yeah. that could give them an easy selling advantage to just add this on. They're, they're one, I forget what it's called. It's like- par- They're in like
2: every company. Yeah. they're paradox or something like that. Yeah, something like that. They, that could give them a really easy interrupt to
1: just add this on as an extra feature. And that is definitely a big risk with Sharpspring, but we'll see they continue growing revenue you know, that threat may not be um, as bad as people think. Uh, Ryan, what about you? What are your highlights and lowlights?
2: I like Rick Carlson. I thought the letter that he wrote to shareholders was well-written. And I think they set realistic goals for themselves. It's not this whole, sometimes you see overly optimistic. uh, 100 million connected fitness subs. Yeah, just go look at a SPAC offering and then you'll, (laughs) this will look great. But uh, I guess my lowlights would, yeah, it's a bit of a crowded market. There is potential, I guess, for acquisition, but I don't like underwriting something with the hope of acquisition. Like if if it's been expressed by an acquirer, that's interesting. But if it's being expressed by the, if they're like, we want to sell, like someone come buy us, that's yeah. not always a good look. Um and then also onboarding seems like it takes a while. And I know the client pays the onboarding cost because I believe there's they collect onboarding revenue, um, which is fine. That's not a cost to Sharpspring, but it makes it a little harder to sell. So I think maybe this is what HubSpot's advantage is, but whoever has the most intuitive solution, I think is gonna win the market. And just by looking at that product demo for 30 minutes, it's not super intuitive.
1: Yeah, but counter to that, the reviews are a lot better. So customers definitely like it more.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the, they have a lower price, so I guess that usually helps. It set lowers the bar for expectations.
1: Potentially, I mean, I'll check out the Gardner reviews. They have they they lo- seem to really like the features on there. Um, but
2: what are your highlights, highlights? I'll hit my
1: highlights. Strong unit economics. I mean, that's an easy one. Gross margins are really strong. At 20 to 25% operating margins seem really realistic for their long term goals. Honestly, could be higher, but maybe they're going to have a lot of SM spend over time. Uh, value proposition is very strong versus the competitors like Ryan and Ian have mentioned. And then those core, cohort financials have been improving over time. That's a good sign. A lot of times, companies can kind of manipulate those charts to make it look good no matter what, but there's the, it's definitely not bad. They're moving in the right direction, and then, like I said, you can definitely see a path to 20% plus profit margins, which at this current, well I guess we're getting valuation later. It really looks not that crazy. Uh, Lowlights, though. I think the partnership strategy they're doing is underwhelming. Yeah, you know, they're they're a microcap, so maybe they're still developing the partnership strategy. But I was expecting a lot more from this because a lot of people that are say gonna use uh Sharpspring are going to be on say like Shopify, they're going to be on Google. I don't know, they're gonna be doing stuff on that as well. I think like looking at someone like Avalara, who is basically saying, we're gonna be on every one of these places. We're gonna have, have you plug and play this and we're gonna focus on this uh, really specifically. They seemed a little off on that because one of their things on their product website was making a landing page but I don't really think that they have any sort of advantage with that compared to Shopify, WordPress, Squarespace, or Wix. So that kind of threw me off. I was like, all right, uh, I don't know about this this landing page thing, but I think that's, that, that's just a small part. And then lastly, um, Ian, you mentioned this, but the multi-tiered pricing thing they were bragging about that seemed like that was an obvious thing that they should have done years ago, but I guess they've been succeeding uh, despite just- of it.
2: Things move slower at microcaps.
1: Yeah, I guess yeah. Lower the expectation on the speed of stuff. Yeah.
2: Which I guess that plays into more or less interested uh, for me. Which is I'm gonna go less. Uh, I know it seems like both you guys are relatively interested in the business, but uh, the valuation—it's obviously not crazy compared when relative to competitors. But it's a microcap. There's like small actions have big risks for the business. Like one person can really affect it. Um, also it's trading at sort of aspirationally, like they're hoping for a hundred million revenue long-term at 20% operating margins. That's eight times operating profit. Yeah, I guess that's cheap, but once again, that's aspirational. So it
0: it's not like a screaming buy for me. All right, Ian. I'd agree with that, Ryan. I don't think it's a screaming buy here. Um, I'm looking at it though. And I am going to say I'm, a, I'm more interested. It's, it's a tough one for me because I think I'm having a hard time. I don't have a ton of conviction in their execution ability to get to a hundred million. I think if they can get to a hundred million that the, in revenue, that this is a big winner from here. And I think the market will reward it for that, um, for getting to a hundred million in revenue, especially if they can get up to 15, 20% operating margins. But, I just, I need to do a little more digging and a little more thinking um, and just kind of maybe, maybe ask some people about the business too, and its competitors. I, I just, I am I'm don't have a ton of conviction in them actually reaching that hundred million dollar in revenue number, but it's, it, I'm definitely more interested though.
1: Yeah, it's tough, or go ahead Ryan.
2: I would also, maybe I'm just not used to B2B software, but this felt like legacy software. It felt not like the direction the world's heading.
1: Uh, can you elaborate? I'm not really sure. I understand. It's that. just the well, it the dashboard
2: like. itself wasn't super intuitive, it, like long onboarding processes. I think that's just businesses are starting to get away from that stuff. It's something they want, like an easy solution that they can embed, right?
1: Uh, Maybe I'm no wrong. Maybe, uh, you might be assuming there. I don't
2: know. It,
1: it, I, I think they're more going for functionality instead of looking like a pretty website since it's not really customer facing. But I think that could be a concern, you know, if you're trying to go down to these businesses, you know, they want a plug and play thing. You know, maybe that's counterintuitive to what they're saying they're going to do. You know, you know, what I mean like, all right, if this isn't easy to do, it takes a few days or months to get it going, a business can't just sign up and start using it. Right? Does that make sense or am I or am I being confused there?
2: Yeah, it just
1: and
2: I There's think that goes so go ahead, Ryan. I was gonna say there's there's that quote that you brought up. You have to be ten times better than the solution that's already provided. And having lived on marketing solutions like this before, with like that internship, it would it takes so much for someone to up and switch that this I don't think this solution's ten times better than the competitors.
0: It might be ten times cheaper, but I don't know if it's ten times better.
1: Yeah, and then I guess or go yeah. ahead,
0: yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I think that illustrates though what they're going after is they are winning some customers from HubSpot, which I think proves that they're they're doing something right. But the reality is, is they're not trying to be 10 times better than HubSpot. They're trying to be 10 times better than no solution right now, because they're competing with a lot of small businesses or agencies that don't have a tool like this yet. And so they're trying to now kind of attract all those people who have nothing, right, or just sending out emails or a newsletter or things like that, and are now getting a real tool to, to target and then retarget these customers. So I think it is potentially like it should, in theory, it's 10 times better than that at least. Um, but what I was going to say is I think that this company is going to, um, obviously it's going to need to grow revenue and it's, it's trying to follow that model that HubSpot went after with, which is targeting these small businesses that really need this tool. And so, um, Whether or not they can actually do that, we're yet to see, but I think they're moving in the right direction. And with the um, cohort analysis that they give, we see that they drop, you know, they have a lot of customers that drop off immediately, which I think goes to what you're talking about, Ryan, that some of these customers get this product and they go, this isn't 10 times better. This is too confusing. There's a lot of onboarding. I don't want to deal with this and get off. But then after that, those customers that remain seem to be really high value customers and so high quality customers for, for them.
1: They work. Yeah, it works in your favor after that. I think that does make sense with that curve that that they, they bring on. Yeah. What What
2: about you? More or less?
1: Uh, more interested. I think there. You know, there is that uh, the lowlights that you're pointing out, Ryan, makes sense uh, about the embedded with you know hubs out there, but. I guess this would warrant more investigation. It seems like there's a ton of white space in this industry ahead. These are the models that companies are going to be using. Uh, I'm not in the industry, so it would take a little bit more research on my part, but definitely more interested, reasonable valuation. I, I think there's a lot of chance here. I mean, the you know you might get a lot of share dilution, which would put a little bit of headwind on there. Um, but yeah, I think there, there's a lot to like about this company wrong. It's, it's, it's there there's yeah it's it seems like a good startup that hasn't been just kind of you know they've been almost profitable for a really long time so I guess been break even you know
2: my thing is like if I'm going to endeavor into the micro cap world I have to feel super confident yeah that's more me just my style because it's more concentrated bets but uh, and I would just isn't, I'm not super confident about this. But yeah, and
1: then look at the value, the valuation too. Like you might be like, oh, it's a SaaS company, it's trading at less than 10 times sales. That looks a lot more reasonable. But again, Ryan pointed this out earlier micro caps do have a lot more risk, which terminal
2: risk, like yeah,
1: like uh, just that the business won't work out. So you typically expect the valuations to be a little lower because yeah. companies that do have those higher valuations that are larger. Have ones that have proved themselves and have kind of established a moat
2: but what uh what's our stock for next week
1: okay yeah it's my choice here so i'm going to pick ubiquity networks shout out to simon erickson he said it on twitter one time and that's how i found it very interesting company good capital allocation and they're within it so it'll be another tough one to understand but i think it'll be fun so
2: All right. Sounds good.
1: All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Again, thank you all for listening or watching. We'll see you next week.